if I made a graph of the negative feeling of um, rejection or failure versus the elation of helping someone in a way that only you can because you have these unique gifts, the elation is much higher. The future of dentistry belongs to the innovators. Welcome to Innovation in Dentistry. I'm your host, Sean Zayas, and I believe that the future of dentistry is going to be unbelievably great over the next decade and two decades, but the question isn't that. The question is, are you gonna be part of what makes dentistry great? Okay, so today I could not be more excited to be with Dr. Laura Mock of uh, Love Your Practice. And you, you're you a dentist and a life coach. Um, you're pretty much a big deal. And before I set you up, let me just say thank you so much for letting me interview you today. I'm thrilled to be here. And thank you for flattering my ego. I can always use that. Uh, so I think we have mutual friends that told us, hey, Sean, you should check out Dr. Laura if you haven't already. And um, I love meeting new people. So, so Laura, the reason why this podcast is called Innovation in Dentistry, it's not really because of clinical innovation or technological innovation. I love both of those, but I believe behind every innovation is an innovator that says, why not me? They just raise their hand and they say, hey, why can't I pioneer positive change? Why can't I bet on me? And you've done that. And I want to hear about, I mean, if you want to talk about your origin story, um, I think that might fill in some gaps, but I'm just curious, how is it that you're pioneering positive change today? Um, so what, what got you into this crazy space uh, known as dentistry? Okay. <laughs> so I, I feel like maybe you want a tiny bit of background into how I got into dentistry first, and then maybe more into how I'm innovating how we lead. Yes. Okay. Okay. Well, I just grew up a young Mormon girl who was taught that um, having a professional career for girls was naughty. And um, there were seven children in my family, and my dad had an undiagnosed health problem, which left him basically unemployed the entire time we were growing up. And so I, the only thing that I did have was that I was really good at multiple choice test questions. <laughs> and so I had like this academic ability, but this, on the other hand, I had this cultural drag where I had to basically claw myself out of poverty slash patriarchal, misogynistic opinions about what I should do with my life. And so as a married mother of two, I decided that I wanted to be a dentist and I did it. <laughs> so, I mean, the only reason I did it, I would only say that I saw it as a, as a way to get out of poverty and to provide for my family. And I knew that since I could take those tests, that I could do it. So you were already married and had two kids when you decided to step into dentistry? Correct. And I had three by the time I graduated because of this whole, I still believed 
that it was my role to be a mother first, which I had been taught. And so I was like, well, I guess I'll demonstrate that by having another one. <laughs> so, so yeah, it was, um, it was an interesting entrance into the field, but at the same time, it was so magical because I do love science and I do love people as well. So it's great. And I, even though I have this other skill now, I still love my practice. I love my patients and my employees, and I love using my hands and my smarts to create smiles and to um, improve people's lives. So that's the short version. Okay. So my partner um, in a different podcast, The Authentic Dentist, um, Dr. Allison House, she talks about going through dental school with young kids mm -hmm. and how crazy that is. <laughs> like, I don't think it's, it's the road most people um, take. How was that like uh, for you? I'm guessing you're getting maybe a lot of support at that time from, from your husband at least, to, because it's like, it's a long road to become a dentist. Yes, he was very supportive of my choice. Um, and um, I also had my sister as my live-in nanny. She was 10 years younger than I was. So she had the time to devote to that. And I'm so grateful and in debt to her for that. And then the other thing is, you know, when you have children, it's just really hard any phase of life that you're in. So I just always tell people, yes, it was hard. No, I don't recommend it. But it's what wherever you are in your life, having children is hard. So it was just, just hard during that time. We were used to being poor. So we were just poor for a little longer. Okay, so you graduate dentistry and then what happens? Um, did you know where you were going to go? Um, did you join a practice that you were... Like, like what, what was your first experience um, as a dentist? I bought my practice nine months after I graduated because I felt like I was behind. I was 32 and I felt like I needed to hurry up. And like my, my um, classmates were six years younger than I was. So I needed to get on the financial bandwagon. I didn't have any savings for my children's college, blah, 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 all that stuff. So I was like, well, I guess I'll just buy this now. So I just, I bought a practice from a seller who had a very um, a old school practice and he worked for me for five years. The practice had been a one dentist practice and we grew it to two. And the way I grew it was just like, I would take anybody. So if you had Medicaid, come on down. I made so many Medicaid dentures. I did so many fillings on people with, pop mouth or whatever. It, oh yeah. We call it pop here in Iowa. So, <laughs> so whatever Mountain Dew. Um, yeah. And I, and we just grew it until it was a bigger, more modern practice. And then five years after that, he left and retired. So, but, and it's been my practice ever since. So you bought a practice. I mean, that's, that's amazing. I don't think that's very common out of school, but you, I mean, you just felt like, again, you had to catch up. Why not? Um, the, the opportunity came and you just took it. Yes. And I had no idea how little I knew about leadership, business, 
all that stuff. I was completely clueless, but I was like, okay, let's buy the practice, you know? <laughs> well, so, so judging off of, based off of you saying that, um, when, when did all of a sudden the lights turn on and you're like, oh, oh my God, this, this running a dental practice thing is very different than simply the clinical side of dentistry. When did that become very apparent to you? Probably when the seller left, because the seller really did take on quite a bit of leadership until that time. And also at that time, I really wanted to modernize the practice. And so that is when I realized that when you're a leader, you really have to deal with your own inner stuff. Can I say swear words on this podcast? Yeah, I'll just, I'll just make it explicit. <laughs> you have to look at your own inner shit to be a good leader. You have to look at your own like um, insecurities, your own um, heart to lead other people, even if it's a small practice. And I, I was very much humbled and made a ton of mistakes during that time. All right. So am I calling you Dr. Mock or am I calling you Laura? I just call me Laura. Okay. So, so Laura, what, where, like, where were you in this time when it came to your, your, your shit or like the stuff that you were dealing with? Like, did you know that like, um, I don't know whether it was the poverty stuff or everything from your dad and the restrictions based off of what you were supposed to do. Uh, had you dealt with most of that or was that all kind of coming to a head at the same time in your first years in practice ownership? The leadership problems that I ran into with my own shit had to do with my security as a person. And so, yes, you're right. A lot of it was how I grew up. So I had this thought habit. That's what I call them, like a belief that ran through my mind, even when I wasn't really aware of it that nothing was enough. And so like as the practice grew and it didn't take very long, we were collecting 1.3, 1.4 million. I was the only dentist and we were doing that. And this was 10 years ago and we had all this money in the account, but I still believed that it wasn't enough because I was, I had a habit of believing that it wasn't enough. I looked I remembered my mom trying to get us fed by selling her plasma and taking the $20 to Aldi before it was cool. <laughs> and that little girl was still in my brain. And so I'm like hungry, hungry hippo gathering. You know what I mean? Do you remember that game? I do. And I'm just like trying to collect and trying to, and at the same time, trying to like my litmus test for whether I thought I was a good leader or not was, is everybody happy with me? Instead of where is this practice going? What do I, what am I bringing to the table that's different than other dentists? Um, what do I think I should be giving my employees? So one employee would want this, one patient would want this. I'd say, sure. And bend this way and then bend that way. And that meant that the practice was essentially rudderless. Yeah, but but you're not supposed to know this going in. Like you're not supposed to know 
that, hey, if I like peace or if I like, um, I don't know, making people happy, and if I'm really high on agreeableness, that I'm going to be almost like without backbone, without a spine, <laughs> I'm not exerting what I want and what's best for everybody because I'm just trying to make people happy. Um, I'm sure even coming face to face with that, it just takes courage to, to face any sense of inadequacy. I agree. And that courage is really painful. Like we're not talking about the courage where you feel like a million bucks. We're talking about crap. I've been doing this wrong. And I have to look at my mistakes and be like, yeah, really screwed that up. And that's hard, you know? But if, when you see what would happen is I got busier and busier, you know, the patients were happy because I was doing what they wanted and I was busy. I was running that hamster wheel dental thing. And what was happening was I wasn't having a good time anymore. And I couldn't, I was afraid to tell my employees what I wanted because I didn't want to piss them off. And I was afraid to say no to a patient you know, remove myself from an insurance contract or whatever for the same reason, well, somebody might be unhappy with me. And so I'm making everybody else happy. And then I'm having to do deep breathing as I'm coming into the parking lot to try to get myself to go in and do the thing for another day. So I mean, I'm sure you did... talk to other dentists who tell a similar story, right? Oh, I, I mean, <laughs> dentistry, dentistry is hard. And dentistry, um, I remember when I realized, like, I, I'm a small business owner. And when I realized that I didn't have to be a clinician, I don't know anything about clinical dentistry. And yet my whole life I spent trying to understand business, grow business, you know, HR, everything. And then a dentist has the same responsibilities as me, but they also have an entire clinical world <laughs> that I know nothing about. I was like, how in the world? Like I got a degree in marketing. I have business degrees. Dentists don't like, this is a struggle for me. And I can think about it, read about it, study it, apply it day and night. How in the world is a dentist supposed to be clinically great? And at the same time, be great when it, now the, the thing is there is it, there's lots of demand in dentistry because people need healthy teeth and, and they don't, they don't have it. So thankfully there's lots of demand so you can get away with um, less than ideal business practices and still have somewhat of a successful practice. For sure. Um, and I think that's where the door got left open for the DSOs to come in because at that same time in the economy, like in our culture, everything was shifting from the Kmart to like bespoke um, to more independent coffee shops. And then that's the same exact time when a corporate expression of dentistry was able to grow. And it's like, that's so weird. It was like, it was like against what was happening everywhere else. And I realized it, it was simply because the lack of processes, the lack of systems, um, the difficulty that dentistry is allowed for, you know, Fortune 500 companies to be like, hey, if we put money in here and and we bring systems and we bring better business best practices, there's room for us to grow. Um, but what they miss, in my opinion, is just the heart and connection 
to the patient. Now, I'm curious, Laura, when did this all come to a head? Do you remember a moment when, I don't know, maybe you looked in the mirror or maybe you finished a procedure or maybe you got done at the end of the day and you were just like, I can't keep doing dentistry this way. Okay. Yeah. There were a couple of those moments. Um, the first moment was probably near the middle or the end of 2018. Um, and it was that it was the having to do deep breathing to come into the office and like coming in and knowing that the smiles from the employees were not sincere. Like you could feel the stress rising. You could feel that it wasn't we were not having fun anymore. And that's when I got a, a life coach. I did not realize how, I thought that was for me. I didn't realize at the time that it was also for my business. Mm. Um, but that is the first change that really made a difference for me was understanding how my emotions affected my leadership. And I learned that in life coaching. So you had a great experience with a life coach. Mm -hmm. And I'm guessing because of what you went through, um, the lessons you learned, you probably were like, hey, if I can help other dentists uh, learn these lessons quicker than I did and find a faster path to um, fulfillment. And I, I think fulfillment is probably a, a good word for this because um, you can run a successful dental practice when it comes to the numbers, but be miserable inside and there's absolutely no fulfillment, right? Um, now, you said you're a mother of three. Is that is that kind of where the family stopped? I just wasn't sure based off of your your upbringing if, if you wanted to go for seven or... <laughs> Like my family, um, I do now have a stepdaughter. I got her when she was 10. So there's four total. Wow. And you, okay. So you're, you're a dentist still practicing dentist and at the same exact time. Um, like when, what was the genesis of this life coaching? Where did that start when all of a sudden you decided to step out? Well, as I was coached, as I saw how my emotions, like as I referred to it before, my shit that I had not dealt with was negatively impacting my practice. And I worked on me and it almost made an immediate difference in the practice. And I was like, I sense an opportunity <laughs> because at the time there were no life coaches for dentists. Now there's several and they're lovely. They're all great. And I can't coach everybody. So I encourage it. But um, I saw that this had made such a tremendous impact on my numbers, on my enjoyment, on my patients, on my employees that I was like, I'm just going to give this a try. I'm going to, I'm going to sign up for certification. If nothing else, it'll help me to better listen to my patients and my, and my employees. And then it definitely grew from there. Was there like a mindset shift in the last decade that either you had to embrace or maybe an old mindset that you had to shed in order to get to where you're at today? Yes, for sure. I mean, like I said before, I was doing everything 
my litmus test was is, is nobody mad at me. And now, after really understanding it, it's who am I serving and how am I serving them? And I'm defining that and then I'm putting it out into the universe. And many patients or employees will leave the practice because it doesn't fit what they want. But I'm practicing the way I want now. And that means that I don't have to do deep breathing as I go into the practice every day. I can be like, oh, yep, today I'm going to help this person, this person, and this person. And I'm doing it the way I choose to. That means one has to face their fears about, you know, well, if I go out of network, then so-and-so is going to be mad at me. And maybe everybody's going to leave the practice. And maybe my employees won't support me or they'll be mad at me. You know, all these things, our mind wants us to be a part of a tribe. And unless we very carefully define who our tribe is, our mind will assume that we have to be liked by everybody. And, and then we start making our choices based on that. It's just a default way that brains work because brains know that acceptance is a part of survival, right? And so it takes a little bit of internal work to say, no, these are the people in my tribe and this is how I choose to serve my community. And I am okay if not everybody likes that. That is very difficult for a dentist to do. And talking to, so I, I'm a big branding guy. Like I love branding. So in my world, that's all about like authentically finding that, that authentic brand in dentistry. And I agree. I don't think dentists know. I don't think they know how to do it, but, but even before knowing how to do it, I don't even think they know they have permission to do it. For sure. Not for sure. Not. They yet, have the golden handcuffs and they are afraid to remove them. Well, but what I always tell people is like, hey, if you're um, like a Whole Foods and um, that's the way you do care, which is, you know, higher quality, but somehow because of, I don't know, maybe your ads or, or something, you, you somehow are attracting Walmart customers, uh, there's going to be a disconnect there because Walmart customers would be shocked when they're at Whole Foods. They're expecting the rollback prices. They're expecting the the savings. They're expecting the um, just everything is different from Walmart to Whole Foods. And yet, if you're a Whole Foods dentist and you're trying to take care of a Walmart patient, there's going to be a disconnect. Like you don't want them to actually step into your practice. If they accidentally step into your practice, you don't want them to find any sense of belonging <laughs> in that practice because you're going to have to be inauthentic to serve them. And that's going to then drain you and make you feel, I don't know, like you're probably not being true to who you are. Um, so when did, again, this takes crazy courage, Laura. I, I'm amazed this is the, the journey that you went through um, because I don't know too many dentists that, I don't know, that actually are able to go through this. I want to roll back prior to you complimenting me again, to describing what dentists need to do with the branding, okay? Like you look at a practice and you go, all they have to do is change their messaging and be okay with a slower influx of patients, right? 
because those high quality patients are harder to come by. Everybody's got their insurance and they want their free cleaning or whatever. So it's easy to bring them in. But what I want to do is help you see why dentists aren't changing their branding and saying, this is how I do it. And it's usually fear. And unless they can see that they feel the fear, and unless they can see that their fear is based on irrational beliefs, they're going to keep on acting afraid. So my job as a life coach, and really it's definitely, it's leadership coaching, but it's leadership coaching through, you have to understand you and your emotions first. We look at why we're afraid. We look at what our thought habits are. And then we decide, is this a thought habit that we want to keep or do we want to let it go? So if someone wants to change or improve how they're putting themselves out there in the wilderness, they need to know that they're going to be okay. And life coaching helps them with that. Okay, so twice now you commented about me flattering or or saying nice things. Uh, So I realized (laughs) this is the challenge when... um, I interview someone that doesn't know me. Uh, so just super quick. I love people's strengths. Like absolutely love people's strengths. Like I, I'm not intimidated by it. Um, I had a brother and sister that were older than me. They're twins and they were amazing at everything. And my parents still somehow made me feel special. And like, I belonged, even though I had these amazing siblings. So the gift that my parents gave me was I want to celebrate everybody's giftings and that special light that only they can shine. So when someone doesn't know that, they, they mistake it as flattery. But um, <laughs> I'm not offended. I just, <laughs> just, just like, okay, thank you. <laughs> yeah, thank you. But, but Laura, you are, you are brilliant and you have a light to shine that only you can shine. And I guess that's kind of part of my introduction that I forgot to share is that I see that dentistry is advancing. And I know it's going to be great in a decade, but my whole question is, is the person that's listening going to be part of what makes it great or are they still going to be on the sideline? Because when I look to the left and the right, I meet all these amazing people at conferences and I see so many of my friends advancing dentistry, but yet I still see these vacancies where people haven't occupied the space that only they can. And that's why when it comes to like abundance, I don't believe it's just financial. I believe that like only you can occupy the space that you were meant to occupy. And there's people that are listening that between the lines of what you're saying and what I'm saying, they're thinking of the dream on their heart. They're thinking of, of that thing that would be fulfilling for them. Maybe it's a life coach. Maybe it's writing a book. Maybe it is starting a podcast. Um, maybe it's something that hasn't even been done before. And my whole goal in interviewing people that have, um, the courage to be honest and vulnerable like you is that that would encourage them to just step up and step out now instead of waiting for them to be perfectly ready. Like, were you perfectly ready to start your practice? <laughs> Absolutely not. Nor was I ready to start a life coaching business either because I stepped on some toes and I made some mistakes and yeah, I just did it. But it seems like you, you've, you've not struggled with stepping out or, or starting something new. Um, was that in you even as a kid where you just didn't mind 
trying new things or, or leading or pioneering or, or is that something that's more in your professional life recently? No, I, you're right. I am a person who's like, okay, let's try it. You know, I don't mind giving it a go. And, and sometimes I fail or sometimes I embarrass myself. But that's, if you want to save yourself from failure and embarrassment, then you just have to stay where you are. And like you said, there are people who might be listening to this podcast who are like, I have this thing I want to create to help people, but what if they don't like it? What if I get rejected? Yeah, you might. You will probably get rejected sometimes, but um, do you want to stay where you are or do you want to get it going? I... I love that message. I mean, I tell people all the time, there's no guarantees. Like there's, if you're looking for a guarantee or you're looking for some reassurance that what you do is going to work, it's just not there. Um, but I think you should do it anyway, because if it's, if it's part of you and if it's your expression of art to the world, like something you're releasing, that's something you believe in and you care about, then it's like incumbent on you. Like you need to share that. You know, I, I feel like everybody is gifted in order to be a gift. Like the point of giftings is that you gift it to others. <laughs> like you use your giftings to be a gift to others. Um, you use your light to illuminate and help other people where they might be stuck. Um, that, that struggle. And oftentimes we're scared that we might struggle. You even said that the F word, uh, failure. And, and I think that's one of those words, Laura, simply because if you think of failure and you think of it clinically, that's scary. That sounds like liability. It sounds like a really poor outcome where someone's going to be upset. But yet, when you think of it in terms of business, it's just the opportunity to move forward and to continue learning. Um, the fact that you have those mindsets, I'm, I'm just saying that that is gold. Like, what, where did you get this from? Or, or were you just self-educating? Are you reading? Is it, is it through some of the life coaches that you hired? Uh, the coaching has definitely helped. And that, um, the coaching program that I went through really helps you look at rejection and failure in a new way. And, and to not be afraid of negative emotions. That makes a difference for sure. And you know, when you think about, you mentioned sharing your light and sharing your gift with others. And I have to say that if I made a graph of the negative feeling of um, rejection or failure versus the elation of helping someone in a way that only you can because you have these unique gifts, the elation is much higher. And the rejection and the failing feelings they're not going to kill you they're going to suck but they're not going to kill you and it's a price you pay for the elation so if that's what you're seeking you have to be willing to face some negativity on the way um but it's worth it i think <laughs> absolutely uh so again in, in like my hope again for for the podcast is always just to give people that extra nudge to to start 
now and to not be afraid. You work with so many dentists. Um, what are some of the mindsets that you see that keep them that keep them back or maybe they keep them more hidden instead of toward full expression? Okay. Um, most common one right now that we work on all the time is I can't ask my employees to change because then they might quit and I can't hire somebody else. You run into that? Do you run into that? Okay. Yeah. And then there's um, the similar, I can't go out of network because everyone will leave and then I won't have a practice anymore. So they feel stuck having to do it according to the, the dictates yes. of insurance. Yeah. Or the twin of that is I can't go out of network because I'm not special enough. Oh my gosh. So many people tell me that one. I don't have enough special skills, that type of thing. Um, someone will say something like, well, I can't make any changes because I'm booked through December. So I'm, you know, again, it's that handcuffs thing. I've made all these commitments to people. And so I can't change right now. And so well, whatever it is, you know, maybe it's not seeing children anymore or doing fewer fillings every day or whatever it is. I going to Coice or Spear and you have to like close your practice to elevate your education, but you always have three or six months of patients waiting for you. These are the types of mindsets that we run into really frequently. And for women, which is who I coach, there's also this whole, you know, we get taught that our job is to make other people happy starting when we're like, I don't know, 18 months old, two years. Oh, you're so cute. Oh, look at you in your dress. Oh, you made me so happy. You know, and then, and then we start to learn, oh, my job is to make other people happy. And to, to serve everybody else and to put myself last. And so what happens is the employees ask for things and they ask for things or they don't do what you ask and they don't do what you ask and they don't do what you ask. And you just keep on internal, internalizing the anger. I'm not supposed to feel angry. I'm just going to stay right here. I'm just going to, you know, and hold it in. And then all of a sudden it goes. And then they lose their shit because they've held it in for too long. And then they get a reputation for being crazy. Oh, you don't want to work for her. She's crazy. Whenever I hear that, what that means is that woman has been people pleasing for so long that she's tired of it. And she doesn't know how to lead in a way that's not angry. So how, how do you do that? Like, I mean, this seems, this seems almost paradoxical, right? Um, so you don't, want to be people pleasing, but you don't want to completely just piss people off. Um, how do you own your strength and walk and be in like that place of freedom where you're not stuck and bound, but do it in a way that acknowledges your feelings and yet um, doesn't cause chaos and offense from those people around you? Okay, I'm going to do my best to explain this without sounding too coachy. Hey, say, you be you, Laura. <laughs> Sound as coachy as you need to be. The first step is to recognize why you are feeling the way you are feeling right now. So why are you feeling like you can't? 
okay? And recognizing that our feelings always come from thoughts, thoughts being the way that the electrical meet between our ears processes our environment. And the electrical meet between our ears makes a lot of assumptions, okay? So we look at how we have been assuming our practice exists and we question it. We decide, so this is a voluntary thought. Maybe it came default, maybe it was instant that we told ourselves we couldn't change. But is that true? Do we still wanna believe that we can't change? And then once we've established that, okay, yes, this thought, this belief is not serving me, I want to let it go. Then we look and we say, well, how do you intend to lead? If you could, without, if you could take emotion out of it and you could just lead however you chose, what would that look like? And every time you ask a leader that question, they don't come back with some selfish meanie poo answer. They're like, well, what I'd like is to give them a standard and to reward them for following it. And then we're all happy and we're having a good time. Like, okay, well, how would you need to feel in order to act that way? And then they go inside themselves and they go, well, gosh, what? I don't know, empowered, confident, proud, something. And then we work on nurturing that feeling so that they can lead the way they intend to. And these are the coaching sessions that we do where we learn how to nurture intentional emotions inside our bodies. Okay. That is just like powerful because I feel like people don't have the alternative. It's like you either have these toxic feelings and emotions or you numb out and then you can't live aligned to your power source, which is your like feelings in your heart. And being aligned to that is beautiful and it's, it's amazing and it's a gift, but if, um, neglected, or if you let these toxins stay there, then they can hurt people around you. And you're left like, what do I do? Almost like, is there something wrong with me? <laughs> and you feel all crazy in your feels <laughs> and that's yes. not good for anybody. No, it's not. And brains, the way brains work plus dentistry, like modern day dental practice ownership. This is like a recipe for unhappiness. Like, unless we look at that brain and just take care of it a little bit, we're all gonna be unhappy. Okay, so is this a book that you've written yet? No, but I do have a podcast and it kind of lays it out. It's just called Love Your Practice. If, if so, and, and if, even if you're not a dentist, but you're looking to lead in that way and, and to nurture the emotions that you need in order to change how you act, you can start there or you can call me. Anybody can call me. Love your practice. Where did you get that? I love that brand. Thank you. Well, you know, I just thought, what was, what is the emotion that would help someone to lead in the very best way? Like if you can imagine, if you love your business, you are like running towards it. It's your baby and you're investing in it in a way that um, that that you're not on the hamster wheel, that you're thinking about it, you're nurturing it, you're you're enjoying it too. So, yeah. 
Okay, so I'm a man and I'm inspired by you. Do you have like a a, a male coach that that you can refer me to? Yes, I, there are male dental life coaches, um, and there I know a few who only serve men, and so and they're great. They don't they're not exactly what I do, but they're amazing too. So I'm sure they could help you. Yes. So where where do you see yourself in ten years? Hmm. I think so in 10 years, I'll be almost 60. I hope that physically I can still practice. And I hope that I will still be coaching. And I hope that I'll have more opportunities to speak on the national circuit. I'm working on that part. I have my first big gig coming up in January. Um, so yeah, more more of all the same, all of this, more of it, and probably I mean, more vacations. Yes, <laughs> I'll be done paying for colleges by then. I'm almost. <laughs> I I have five kids, so I'm. What? Um, yeah, they're they're pretty young. Well, I shouldn't say that they're fourteen to seven. So yeah, I I have a lot of school ahead of me to pay for. <laughs> mm-hmm. Just keep innovating. Oh, yes, yes. Okay, so so Laura, if I am hearing you and and I'm a, a female dentist and I'm like, man, I love her message. I want to get in touch with her. Where do you want people to go? Just my website. It's loveyourpractice.net. But you can also find me on like Instagram. If you don't want to talk to me, if you just want to like get my vibe, um, my my Instagram is full of reels and post it's um dr laura mock dds okay so i I think you're ready for it this is the closing question so laura of today now this is a hypothetical you're walking down the street and you see in the distance 18 year old laura and you only have a one moment just one little sentiment that you can communicate with her what do you share? I hope you can edit out this pause while I think. You can do more than people think you can. Or people say you can. That's what I would say. You can do more than people say you can. Amen. I feel like that's that's the message even for the listeners right now. For sure. You can do more then you think you can, you can do more than people say you can. And there's no better time than now. And I feel like so much of your message is so encouraging of like, hey, I don't need to be afraid to step out. I don't need to be afraid to, to try things. And the, the sooner I get aligned with, with who I am in practice, the more I'm going to feel alive, fulfilled, connected to my team, my patients, and the more I'm able to actually love my practice. Um, yeah. And what would be so bad about feeling some rejection? If I knew if I could feel a little rejection that I would get more aligned, would I go through that emotion? Yes, I would. Anybody would. No, that that is 100% true. Um, Laura, it's been easy to honor you as as an innovator as someone that really is pioneering positive change 
I think the more we have dentists that are connected to their purpose, to their heart, to their brand in practice, um, so that they can be present with patients and present with team and alive, um, the better it is for dentistry. Um, seriously, like, thank you for what you're doing in dentistry. I'm in your corner if you need anything. Um, thank you for letting me interview you today. It's been an honor. Thank you so much for inviting me. Thanks for listening and be sure to follow so you never miss an episode. To learn more about what's going on in dentistry, check out innovationindentistry.com.